action films, the home of high-powered, high-voltage motion picture entertainment. We're taking motion picture excitement over the edge and your box office over the top. All right, let's kick the tires and light the fires. Boom. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Fascinated with Films. What's going on? We are back in the saddle again. <laughs> people probably don't realize it. We took a week off. Shit was a little crazy last week with a bunch of people getting sick and having relatives in town and quarantines and everything else. And it was like, man, we need to slide one off for a week. But I think I think one episode in three years we're we're doing all right. Bro. Yeah, that's pretty good, man. That's a pretty good thing. <laughs> I just, I tried to get her. Uh, we we mentioned that to her dad. You, you want to do a pod? And, uh, and I said, yeah. I figured you wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but. I'm uh, I'm excited to be back talking about some good stuff. The world's going to shit. Well, Florida's going to shit. So, oh, man, you've just been waiting on it, dude, and it's just finally happening. Ten you know? ten thousand people since yesterday have. Uh, Jeez, been, uh, man! It's like every day is a new record. So, it should uh, it should be interesting after Fourth of July. After two weeks after Fourth of July, so around uh, what around uh, July twelfth or fourteenth, we should uh, see the real damage of this shit that's going to happen this weekend. Well, but. And and it's the same thing as like Memorial Day and everything like that. Like you just count you're just counting the the holidays by every two weeks now. Like whatever they may be, you yep. know, it's just well, you know, we'll see how it is in two weeks, yep. and in two weeks it's worse. You know, maybe like, we'll be good for uh, for Halloween. <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe. I just I just considering 2020 kind of a write off. You know. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's canceled. It's fucking canceled. Oh, it's bro. canceled. Like, Me and my uh, girl, that's how we refer to stuff. She's like, oh, man, that's so 2020. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real, man. Like, 20, I don't know what it is, bro. I like, we're jumping the shark right now. Oh, like, sure, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, come on, man. It's just getting <laughs> ridiculous. Just get back on schedule and let's go back. Everybody's paying attention. Yeah. Like, well, ugh. we need to do what we should have done at the beginning and just everyone agrees shut down for two weeks. Like everybody agree to it, and yeah. then we'll be we'll be good as new. We'll be like uh, New Zealand over there, who are probably enjoying their beaches this weekend. I'm sure, dude. <laughs> yeah, but the genie's out of the bottle, man. People aren't going back in. Oh, you that's and the I, thing too. You know, it's the same with uh, like certain businesses shut down. Once once you do that once, it's hard to do it a second time. But yeah, I mean they've already taken it away from the bars. But who no, wants to go to a bar? I don't get it. It's <laughs> the it's the damn mayor of amity yeah oh man i've made that reference so many times yeah and here we are july 4th you know what i mean like i was quoting uh richard dreyfus to my wife the other day i I said to her i said i I said this governor is gonna uh uh ignore this particular problem until it swims up and bites him in the ass yeah (laughs) oh god fourth of july i'll be quarantining watching myself some uh some jaws and watching the parallels (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, I think I'll make a TikTok about it. <laughs> well, to get back on board, like you said, jumping the shark. <laughs> We're about to do 12 movies about jumping the shark. <laughs> Absolutely. So I made a little list here of last, because if you're uh, if you're just joining us for this uh, second part of Canon Film Pod, you should probably go back and check out the first one, just because there are some great movies in there. And I was going to do a, I was going to do a quick recap just of the list of movies we did on the last one. So if you're joining us now, we're talking Canon Films. We're talking 
the the two crazy Israeli cousins who love movies so much that they but they didn't have a whole shitload of money to do it with. Uh, they just came over here and uh, for their I'm, I always get their uh, their names wrong. It's Mahayim. Uh, Damn, I'm, I'm gonna just butcher their name, so I won't even do it. <laughs> the two, <laughs> the two cousins, man. I had it written down last time. I don't have it written down this time. But if you want to go back two pods ago, I think this is 145. So I'm pretty sure 143 was our uh, part one of our canon pods, and the movies we talked about on that one are Enter the Ninja, Ten to Midnight, Revenge of the Ninja, Breakin', Ninja Three: The Domination, Missing in Action, Life Force, American Ninja, Invasion USA, Death Wish Three. The Alan Quartermain movies and the Delta Force. Hell yeah! And that just sounds exciting, right there. <laughs> I know, right? That's a hell of a lineup, dude. It really is. And we were i I thought it was amazing last time. There was so many movies. I think there was six movies from 1985. The, yeah. This one, our first five movies are from '86, but I'm pretty sure Delta Force, the last one on our last pod, was also '86. So <laughs> they did another six movies in '80. I mean, they actually did like they were pulling in like 20. 25 movies we just these are just the well-known ones you know oh yeah absolutely. that weren't complete trash but <laughs> and it, it might sound like we're gonna shit on some of these movies some of them deserve to be shit on but the majority of them i i think they're just campy and just fun and nostalgic to watch and enjoy you know uh, yeah no i mean other than the couple on here that i haven't seen like I like every single one of these yeah, movies. They're <laughs> like, fun. I mean, there's some bad ones. Like, uh, like number, oh, yeah. number eight is a real bad one. <laughs> I don't have them numbered, but oh, okay. I already know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's about some guy from Eternia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> But yeah, we'll get into that one. But uh, some of these, I mean, I think it helps that we grew up with it. You know, I think it really helps. Absolutely. Like, yeah. I would be super surprised to find some film fanatic teenager now that we show these movies back in the day and and see if they actually enjoy them. Because, you know, man, you got to like, you got to like some cheese. You know, I've, I've successfully avoided being like, I'm a huge, we're both huge movie fans, but I think both of us have avoided being like movie snobs, you know? Oh, yeah. And I knew so many of them like, oh my God, you didn't watch that Humphrey Bogart movie and Casablanca is this and Casablanca is that. And I said, yeah, it's a good movie, but so's The Highlander and so's Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. Absolutely. But most of those people aren't going to agree with that. They're into that types of flicks, but I like them all, man. I can appreciate garbage and I can appreciate some high class art. So <laughs> yeah, I, I like to I like to consider my movie taste like the top of the garbage pile. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm like right in there. It's almost good stuff. You know what I mean? But it's still kind of garbage. Like, <laughs> hey man, you like what you like too. And if you're, Absolutely. especially if, I mean, if you're a comedy and an action guy and you're mainly a comedy and action guy, you know, you're going to get some, you're going to get some cheese. You're going to get some low budget stuff in there, but you'll also get some great, great stuff out of it. So I'll tell you, this just popped into my head. It's a little off topic, but it's not because I'm curious to know which ones of these that like when we go through them, which ones, if any, that you saw in the theater or if they were even released in the theater. Um, And then I was just curious, man, did you hear that AMC might be like closing down? Oh, wow. I did not hear that. I I I heard that they are like having to file for bankruptcy, man. I mean, it makes sense. Who's going to theater? I'm not going to theater. I know, dude, but like the last movie that we saw in the theater might be the last movie that we saw in the theater. Damn, man. I'll have to look on Fandango. They keep track of the movies I bought on there, and that might be the only way I could even tell what the last movie I saw was because I have no clue. 
I have yeah. no clue what the last movie I saw was. Mine was that terrible underwater movie. Yeah, that's right. I remember like, you telling oh, me that. It's such a mistake. I wish I would have seen something better. <laughs> that can't be my last. <laughs> like, like Firewalker. <laughs> oh, good job. Good job, man. <laughs> yeah, that's our first movie, man. From ni- Our first of five 1986 movies is Firewalker. And my God, this was such a fun-ass movie, man. Really now, fun. Now, is this, is this the only Chuck movie on the list? On this list, yes, but there was a shitload of Chuck. So if you're a Chuck Norris fan, go back and listen to the first pod for sure. Yeah, Because I think we only have one Chuck Norris and only one Charles Bronson movie on this. And the last pod was very heavy Bronson and Chuck Norris. I mean, more than half. So, Uh, But it was also probably the first um, Lou Gossick Jr. movie that, uh, that he did with Canon. I'm not sure if he did another one. I mean, he's definitely done some of his cheesy stuff, like Enemy Mine, but Enemy Mine had some serious uh, special effects involved with it, <laughs> which yeah. uh, which some of these did. And, eh, maybe. <laughs> 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 no, but, I mean, and there's a couple we left off this list that if we really want to talk some cheesy special effects where it just shows and it just hurt the movie, the one that comes to mind is uh, Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. Ooh, yeah. God. They did not have the fucking quality to be able to pull that shit off. (laughs) No, not at all. And he even said it, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the documentary at the end, but uh, the Mahayam guy even had mentioned, he's like, I don't know what I would do with $30 million for a movie. He says, I would probably make 30 movies for a million dollars each. And right. they were showing some of the budgets, and it looked like his budgets weren't going over like $22 million at the very highest, I think it was. And I think that was over the top, and that was just because of uh, Stallone's salary. Oh, yeah. And I'm I'll sure. talk more about that, but let, we got to get into some Firewalker here. Now, yeah, dude. to me, this was basically like almost – it was had a very similar quality as King Solomon's Mines, but uh, – the the buddy comedy was like ramped up hardcore. Like that opening yeah. for Firewalker was so fucking fun. Absolutely, dude. They're driving through the desert and yeah, like they, right at the credits, man. I mean, it just start. I love and I do that with with our movies that we've made. I love to start with a major action uh, sequence because I think it's just exciting out of the uh, out of the jump to be able to do that. And the way they started Firewalker was great. Why don't you tell us about that scene, man? That scene was so fun. yeah. So it's them in a Jeep and they're in the middle of the desert and they're basically in a car chase with a couple other, you know, Jeeps and they're going through and, uh, and Chuck Norris is driving. And at one point, uh, Lewis Gossett Jr. I think says like, go left, go left. And he turns right and he goes over this dune and they end up in the only oasis in the entire desert <laughs> jeep first you know and they can't go anywhere yeah. if he had that uh, jeep from texas walker range or texas walker he would have been fine but <laughs> yeah right exactly <laughs> a little jeep uh, yeah but then they had them, them putting him into the sand like spread eagle i loved <laughs> yeah and then he gives him a bottle of water and you know he's like if you get thirsty drink some water but his arms are tied and he can't move them <laughs> so you he's know just holding mean? that bottle yeah yeah, and so like this general then leaves, and and I, dude, I kind of wish like I could have seen the backstory to why they were running from that. That general, would have been fun, you know? but it, that's also part of what I like about it. You know, whatever they did was like just so fucked up, <laughs> right? Um, and so of course, you know, Chuck Norris being Chuck Norris, he just and it's a San Pellegrino bottle, and I don't know if you're if you've ever held one of those, but oh, they dude. are thick, dude. Oh, really? They're thick. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, and he just like breaks it with his hand and then cuts himself free and then cuts Lewis Gossett Jr. free 
and they escape, you know. Um, they're, they're basically just kind of like hired adventurers, really. Yeah, yeah, they're just treasure hunters. Yep, and, treasure hunters. you know, they just, you know, they're just constantly looking for funding, you know. And so <laughs> yeah. they... So this, this woman comes into this bar and she's like asking for two people that would be willing to kind of go on an adventure, you know, and the bartender laughs and refers her to them. Um, and she walks up and she goes, the bartender said to tell you that I was okay. (laughs) And they both are just like, oh, this is money, you know? (laughs) And so turns out like, you know, she's like, is having these psychic visions about this temple in the middle of the jungle and like it's the lost city of gold. And so like, you know, that's, they, they go on this adventure to, you know, find the lost city of gold. And I mean, dude, it's just so much fun, man. It is that I love that girl too. She was in uh, flash Gordon. Uh, she was the main girl, Flash Gordon's girlfriend in there, and that's what I had known her from before I even watched this. <clears throat> but there was some other great actors in this movie, too. Uh, Sonny, the guy who, who plays Billy in Predator, was Absolutely, super dude. great. And I also love the uh, that old Native American guy who was uh, he was from Poltergeist, too. And he was also from One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. He was the big Indian when he was yeah, young. Yeah, that's who, right. Who lifted up that big thing and helped uh, escape at the end. Yeah. Uh, he's old in this movie, though. He's got his, like, false teeth in, and he's super old. But he, he brings so much to it when he's in, like, his uh, – he's doing, like, Keepy. the chants and stuff like that. And Yeah. Really and fun. He's, and, I, you know, I, I always like, honestly, because they do this in this movie. And, and to me, it's always really funny. And, and what it is is it's it's – poking white people from a native American, you know, standpoint where like, you know, they, they, they speak English and they, you know what I mean? But like, for some reason, white people expect them to speak like this. Yes. Yeah. So like in the movie, you know what I mean? He's talking with Chuck Norris and he's talking completely normal and he goes, okay, now I talk like this, you know what I mean? In order to like tell a story because he like makes a living off of that, but he is also a shaman. You know what I mean? And like, I just, I always love when they do that. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's not very PC in these uh, movie cultures. You don't see it much I, anymore. Right. <laughs> Especially but that in a time period where uh, they're pulling a gun with the wind from HBO. Yeah, no kidding. Dude. You know, what's a, a funny story about that, not to get too off track, is uh, I saw that they pulled it and I was like, well, I got a copy. I don't care. I have it on DVD. And then my wife's like, I think that's one of the DVDs I grabbed from my mom's house and it's still sealed. And I went in the other room and I was like, holy shit, it is still sealed. And I put it up on wow. eBay and it sold in 10 minutes for $30. Wow, dude. I was like, boom, you can have it because that's what's going to, I said, I'm not, I'm, I'm a huge Black Lives uh, Matter advocate and for, for all advocacy, I'm very uh, left leaning, but the idea of pulling movies for, for reasons like that is it's a slippery slope, man. You're going to have to pull everything because everything is going to be a a problem if you go down that road. And people don't mention that uh, the, the black woman uh, won the Oscar for that movie. (laughs) Right. So yeah. it's an interesting kind of thing. I, I have no problem watching older movies and realizing, oh, whoa, what wasn't PC back then? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. It's no problem. I mean, you go back. You can't watch any of the old cartoons. You can't watch any of that stuff. Someone was also mentioning. Uh, I was listening to somebody else who said he was watching uh, Peter Pan with his kids, and there's so much of the Native American stuff, like you said, with the Lost Boys dressed like the Indians and everything. And he said he was watching it with his six year old, and his six year old turned to his, him and said, "You know, this is kind of racist, Dad." <laughs> I said, "Yeah, kids aren't stupid, man. They they realize yeah. it." But I mean, and that's yeah, that's what it is. But 
Uh, it, this was all done in really good fun in this movie too. And I, I think for me was really great in this was Lou Gossick Jr. I think he was the element that came in that really blended well with Chuck, you know? Oh yeah. Because Chuck's not like known for that relief. type of, say again? I said he was like the comic relief. Absolutely. And usually you yeah. don't see that. I, Chuck Norris does not have like a, you can't really pick out a movie where he has that good kind of quality or that good relationship with a co-star back and forth like that. This might yeah. be the first one that he ever did. He's usually the serious guy, man. Yeah, I mean, it probably wouldn't be until like sidekicks that he did. Yeah, that again. sidekicks. So this probably you know? this probably kicked it off. Uh, he was like, "Hey, I I can be funny." <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I'm Chuck Norris. I can do whatever the fuck yeah, I want. I, I particularly love when they dressed like priests and stuff. And uh, yeah, dude, it, it, it was such a fun movie, man. Well, and and like you said, I mean, I got to give a shout out to uh, to Billy from Predator because like he's part of the main reason. I don't know why, but he's one of my favorite characters in Predator. And oh, like, yeah, I love him, man. Oh, dude, he's so great in that movie. You I know, loved him and in like, the original Forty Eight Hours, he was awesome in that. As one of the exactly. bad guys. So good. He yeah. was a big staple. He should definitely be on one of our character actor pods. For sure, dude. Yeah. I would really like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, he, you know, as the, he was like the, he, He's I a bad mean, guy, he was really, I mean, yeah, no, but he was like the last of his tribe and like that, uh, dagger had like special powers and like, dude, I kind of wanted to see him like succeed and then <laughs> fight them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause I wanted to see what would happen. Like, you know, but you know, we'll, we'll, he's we'll a, he's a there. big dude too, man. I mean, especially yeah. when he takes his shirt off, like in predator or in this at the end, man, when you were like, yeah. man, this guy's going to be a tough motherfucker. And he also has one of those best, that best laugh that I, one of yeah. the greatest laughs that just, you know, the laugh I'm talking about. He's, he does oh, it yeah, in like every one of his movies. It's just yeah. booming and scary and like uh, and really gets your attention. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that scene in Predator where he's on the log, across, you know, and like uh, Arnold is trying to like you know get him to come on or whatever. Yeah. He's like, nope. dude, he's yeah, he's as big or bigger than Schwarzenegger in that scene. Mm. Like, you yeah, know, he was a he's badass, awesome, and that's dude. the way to go out, man, in that movie. Because I no, mean, yeah. everyone else kind of went out badly, lost your arm, got shot in the head, like Bill Duke. <laughs> yeah. But this guy's like, I'm going out on my own, man. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to face him. I mean, it didn't turn out well for him, but still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think of the laugh now. I, it, that laugh from Predator when the guy told him the joke. <laughs> yeah, well, laugh. and then the Predator, yeah, and then the Predator uses it at the end when he arms the ball. Oh, you know? Such a good laugh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sweet. Yeah, I love Firewalker. All right, let's go to another 86 one. And this, you know, this might arguably be one of the uh, uh, the canon's bigger franchises because it kind of spawned off not only like three or four movies, it spawned off a TV show. And this is 1986, The Highlander. Uh-huh. I had a, my friend was a huge Christopher Lambert fan, which I always found really interesting because I always thought he was a crap actor. <laughs> Not that I didn't like his movies. I, I liked a lot of his movies. I liked Fortress. I loved uh, Knight's Move was another great one. And I liked him in the Highlander movies, but he wasn't a great actor, man. He was really flat. And it was interesting seeing him playing opposite Sean Connery. Uh, and uh, one of my favorite uh people in this movie was Clancy Brown, who is the, uh, you know, the main, um, the main prison Pet guard Cemetery, from, man. uh, Shawshank. Yeah. Yeah. And also from Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery too. too that's right. Yeah. And he's the voice of, uh, Mr. Krabs from, uh, <laughs> from right. SpongeBob SquarePants. He's awesome, man. I love him. But this is early on when he was just crazy as shit. 
So if you're not familiar with the Highlander, now you said you hadn't seen or you have seen the Highlander? I haven't. I have not. Wow, man. You definitely got to check it out. It's The first and the second one were really good. The, uh, the second one's called Highlander, the quick yeah. thing. And Michael Ironside was one of the bad guys in the second one, so he just kind of elevated. The third one actually wasn't bad either because Mario Van Peoples was the bad guy in the third one. Uh-huh. Uh, and I loved him. I did not care for the TV show, though. My Yeah, I mean, I, I do know one thing, and that is there can be only one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> see, you don't have to see the movie to know. <laughs> Very true. So what's going on in this movie is we're jumping back from, like, the past to the present. And so Connor McCloud is who Christopher Lambert's playing. And uh, we're seeing him in, like, the 1500s on, like, the battlefield. And there's a great scene where he actually gets killed on the battlefield. And he comes back because you don't sometimes you don't realize you're a highlander and if you're a highlander you're immortal so it's basically it, it's kind of a weird element they worked in this movie it's kind of that vampire type element without actually being a vampire just being a normal person that some people just have this ability to be a highlander which means they're like immortal as long as you, you don't lose don't your head you don't know until someone kills you and then you're like oh my god i'm i'm a highlander well that's how Chris, that's how it worked for christopher lambert for sure i got you and then not until that uh, he is visited by sean connery and sean connery trying to shows him the ropes and everything but before that it was great there was a great scene where uh uh, he died on the battlefield, and then he shows up at the bar, and everyone, all his mates and everyone at the bar turn on him because they think, oh, this is not right. He's he's a devil or he's a demon, and this is not right. And even his girlfriend at the time, they're like throwing rocks at him, and they cast him out of town. They're like, you get the fuck out of here. And he thought he just got lucky and everything. And so then he meets uh, Sean Connery, who is one of my favorite roles. He, he And it's... A little bit of a spoiler, but Sean Connery's only in it for a short time. They do end up bringing him back for the second one, and I can't remember how they do that because he clearly loses his head in the middle of this one. Uh, but I can't. I haven't seen number two in a long time, and I don't remember how they they did it in some way. I don't know how they did it, but uh, flashback. Yeah, but uh, he he's teaching him how to do things. It's one of my favorite Sean Connerys because he's playing a Spaniard, but he doesn't change his Scottish accent even the slightest. <laughs> He's like, I'll be a Spaniard, but I'm going to be the Sean Connery Spaniard. <laughs> yeah, right. So this he, is how all Spanish people talk. There's a really great telling scene where he's uh, he's kind of training uh, McLeod to like uh, be a great swordsman because all Highlanders fight with the swords and because that's the only way to kill another Highlander is you got to uh, uh, cut their heads off. And like I said, this is being cut in between another uh into the present time and in the present time he's at like a wrestling match like a rick flair re- wrestling match rick flair's like in the ring and That's then awesome. after during the match he goes out into the parking garage and he ha- starts having a sword fight with this guy in a suit and he cuts his head off and then light comes out because once you kill a highlander something happens called the quickening which in the quickening you get the powers from all the powers the knowledge and the experience from all the that that particular highlander has experienced for his entire life and sometimes oh, wow. that entire life is like a thousand years so that's why clancy brown who fought mcleod on the battlefield has been searching for him forever because uh Clancy Brown's basically like the badass bad guy who's just collecting other Highlanders' uh, souls and uh, quickening skills. So he can't be stopped. And at some point, he almost got his head chopped off. They almost Pez dispensered his head. So he has to actually have it like pinned on with safety pins. And he, he is wild. It. If you liked him in Pet Cemetery 2, you would love him in this because he's very similar. He's just yeah, a dude, crazy wild man. Now. 
yeah, he's a total yeah. wild man. <laughs> uh, but there's a great scene where where Sean Connery is training uh, Christopher Lambert, and they're in like a boat together, and he he tips the boat over, and he holds Christopher Lambert's head under the water, and uh, Christopher Lambert's still not getting the fact that he can't die. So he keeps him under there, and Sean Connery's like, "You can't die. You're not getting it." And all of a sudden, he he's like looks around underwater, and he starts breathing in the water and swimming in the water, and he realizes, "Holy shit, you're right. I can't die." And just at that point, that's when Clancy Brown kind of shows up and. Uh, attacks and kills Sean Connery and a lot of the, the the majority of the film is kind of in the present with Clancy Brown trying to deal uh being like this 50 or 16th century kind of madman running around in present day like New York City so it's it's friggin fantastic it was a great movie man now yeah I, well I mean I know it spawned a, a franchise you know what I mean like you said three movies in a TV show absolutely and it might even have been you know. four movies I, I know of the first three of the ones I watched. knowing knowing been. canon yeah. there probably was four we just didn't know it yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it, it made a lot of money man a lot of huge fans of that uh, show and they could totally bring that back they could revitalize that series big time because it had enough clever things about it the idea of immortality unless you lost your head there's like one thing you can't do just don't lose your head and collect as many and take as many heads as you can. And then you'll just be uber powerful. So yeah, it's fun. It's really cool. I like the idea of like collecting kind of knowledge just through people's like bodies, you know, by massacring them is insane. I mean, it's similar to like draining a vampire, but you don't really gr- drain their powers from them. So it's actually better than a vampire movie. Now that I think about it, <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's a good one, man. All right, well, next one. Guess what? 1986. <laughs> Surprise me. Surprise me. And uh, this is one of my favorites, man. I love this movie. This is one of the ones I used to watch late night on HBO. I HBO was great with playing these canon films, man. They really gave a lot of like showcasing of these movies back in the day. And uh, this one was uh, 1986, Murphy's Law. And Charles Bronson, and it's... A typical Charles Bronson movie, you know, he almost always played a cop. Very few times did he not play a cop. I can't even think of one. (laughs) In in the canon film movies, at least. Canon films did cop movies right, though. Well, right back in the day. You know what I mean? Like, they they made a few of those, and they did a good job. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess, technically, I guess he wasn't a cop in any of the Death Wish movies, now I think about it. He just kind of acted like one. Yeah, he was kind of his true. own cop, and he kind of did his own thing. But in this one, he was a diehard cop, and he was getting uh, he had enemies at the uh, at the uh, on the at the precinct, and he ends up getting set up. And you don't realize the kind of the whole movie. Well, not really the whole movie. You find out kind of uh, half hour or so in who's setting him up. So someone is like perfectly setting up Charles Bronson to make him look like he's killed somebody. And it turns out it's this crazy, crazy woman who I, I'm not sure who she was. She was in the movie Pale Rider with uh, with Clint Eastwood. I know that, but she played a mad woman in this movie where she was just ruthless and she looked angry through the whole movie. And at the end, she was just running up uh, stairs with an axe in her hand, trying to take out Charles Bronson. She was just a nutcase. Uh, oh wow! But what made the movie great for me is so once he realizes he's in trouble and that they arrested him. They were like, you're going down, man, and you're going down for this murder. And he's like, I'm set up. Are you guys too stupid to realize this? And so when he's at the holding cell, they end up they end up handcuffing him to this like wise-ass teenage girl uh, who he had arrested earlier in the movie for uh, trying to steal his car. 
I, I don't I cannot also not name how many times people try to steal Charles Bronson's car from them. It never works, <laughs> never works out well for him. <laughs> but this girl was so funny, and I I actually have followed her over the years, and she was in the Gilmore Girls for a while playing somebody's sister. But uh, you might remember her from uh, I don't know how well you remember Roadhouse. Roadhouse. She worked at the bar. She was kind of, I hate to use the word homely, but she was had a very unique look to her. And uh, she was kind of, uh, she worked at the bar and uh, and at the Double Deuce and everything. And she was great <laughs> in that movie. But in this movie, she was this foul-mouthed teenager that just happened to be handcuffed to Charles Bronson when he decided to escape. So he ends up hitting like the prison guards uh, uh, with the gate or something. And then they just bust out and they go to the roof to steal the helicopter. And he gets in the helicopter. And the whole rest of the movie is this like buddy kind of film with him and this girl and she was just giving him a hard time at every kind of uh thing it was it was a great kind of back and forth between those two it kind of made the film different and unique and enjoyable and they had to go to his friend's house in the in the like in the forest and he had to keep them safe until he figured out what was going on and he had to kind of backtrace kind of all the stuff that's happening until he figures out the link between this crazy woman and him and it comes all the way down to this great scene in this old school hotel where uh one of my favorite scenes is the uh, the crazy villain kind of kidnaps uh the teenage girl and sticks her at the bottom of the elevator shaft and uh starts lowering the elevator when charles bronson's on the top floor so charles bronson has to run down the like six sets of stairs in order this girl not to be crushed to death at the bottom of the oh elevator shaft and all the all the wild uh the uh, the mob is after Charles uh, Bronson because they think he he screwed him over. So he's not only taking trying to take out uh, the wild uh, crazy woman. He's got the mob coming in with Uzis uh, trying to blow uh, blow him away. It was fun, man. It was very similar to Ten to Midnight, where it kind of was. It was uh, it was cheesy and it was an '80s action flick, but it was kind of a little bit elevated uh, as far as story. A lot of the other action movies they did, you could tell that there was no story there. They were just <laughs> they were just yeah. making it up as it went along. How the, many explosions can we make yeah, yeah. for this amount of money? Exactly. Like, <laughs> Send in Dudikoff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was good, man. It was one of the the better Charles Bronson movies that wasn't a Death Wish movie. So if you're out there and you're looking, if you're a Charlie Bronson fan. Check out Murphy's Law. Really good. All right. This next one. This one's also another one that I always loved growing up with was 1986 Cobra. Do you remember yeah. uh, Stallone and Cobra? I do. I Now, again, it's this I've seen a couple of times, but it's been a long time. Um, but I, do you I remember can't the car? forget. Oh, yeah, dude. It, it, was, like, a, it was a pharaoh, I think is what they call it. And uh, yeah. And I, a, there was a bunch of people down in Port Charlotte that were like Pharaoh fanatics. So I used to see those cars all the time on the road. And I would be like, oh, that's the Cobra car, man. It's pretty badass. It's a very unique yeah. car if you look it up. Pharaoh. It's interesting. He he likes his cars because when he made the Expendables, he made like a, a custom uh, old school truck with like bulletproof g- uh, glass and everything like that. What? And he, yeah, well, and they made like eight of them because they had to wreck it so many times. Um, but he kept one of them and he actually still has it. That's awesome. I, I bet he has one of the Cobra cards. I would be surprised. I bet if he, he does, dude. He, he keeps all that stuff, yeah. dude. He's still got the turtles from Rocky. That's L. true. That's true. You know? <laughs> it's good to be rich and you don't have to pawn anything. <laughs> I know, right? You can buy your dog back at least. Yeah, I know. You know? <laughs> well, Cobra um, was fun, man. I love Cobra because I love, uh, 
Uh, it was Bridget Nielsen, where I think he was dating her at this point. Uh, most people know Bridget Nielsen from Rocky IV. She played Dolph Lundgren's wife, who a completely different look in this movie. In this movie, she had long, like, auburn hair. And, and if you don't know her from that, you know her from Flavor Flav. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the weirdest union in the world, man. <laughs> the couple you would never expect. That Was that like a scam? Are they even together anymore? Or were they were together for yeah, a short I, time, right? I don't know what that was about, dude. That was... <laughs> That was, but hey, it captivated America. We all stopped what we were doing. It was like, wait, what the fuck is going on right here, right now? I watched I her on. Um, I watched her on that Doctor Drew like addiction show, man, and she was she was rough. She had some serious oh, yeah. drug issues uh, later in her life, and I think she kicked it after a while. But I haven't seen her forever, and I never did get to see Cre- Cre- Creed too. Still haven't seen it. Uh, oh, she's. In, I'm pretty sure she's in it. I'm yeah, that's sure what I hear. Uh, I don't know if she looked good or what was going on with her, but she looked fantastic in Cobra. That's probably the best she's ever looked, in my opinion. Uh, really? She played better a than model. Rocky Four? Uh, yeah, way better than Rocky Four, I think. Rocky wow. Four, she had that unique look with the short hair, but I thought she was gorgeous in Cobra. Wasn't she also in Beverly Hills Cop 2? Oh, yeah, she looked great in that, too. Damn, she I forgot about that. She looked great in that. Six-foot blonde. Yeah. Ooh, man. <laughs> How long does it take you to shave them legs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're not going to fall for a banana in the tailpipe. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, Cobra, Cobra, he's just like this rogue cop who they call, not rogue, but he's just like a badass cop that they call when the when the job is that dirty the beginning of the movie had an awesome scene where this crazy nutcase who you've seen play a crazy nutcase in a ton of different movies i don't know his name he's a great character actor and he goes into this grocery store and he just goes in there with a shotgun and starts firing away and is this where he grabs the beer yeah that's right he does grab a beer in this movie yeah (laughs) yeah like yeah well it's in the middle of that i'm sorry to interrupt you i just wanted to, to ask like you know, so yeah, so they're in the middle of a convenience store robbery, and he comes in, and, and the aisle he ducks behind, there's like Coors Light right there, and he just grabs one and just starts sipping it while the guy's like firing off his gun, like <laughs> he's just waiting for him to get done, dude. Like, uh, it's great, but when Cobra shows up and his partner's really funny, he's like this uh, really uh, comical kind of Hispanic guy that's been in a bunch of different movies too, and he was uh, he played uh, Poppy in um, Seinfeld. Do you remember the guy who peed on the couch? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, Cobra's partner. <laughs> and I should That's mention uh, Cobra's name was Marion Cobretti. That was his name in this movie. For some reason, I always uh-huh. remember that. And so he came in and has the best line ever where he faces down the villain and everyone's like, there must be 30 people in the grocery store just hiding behind stuff or flat on the ground just trying not to get shot. And uh, Stallone ends up coming up to him and he... He uh, says, you're the disease, and I'm the cure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love it, man. Uh, So what's going on is there's like this crazy kind of violent cult that's going around towns and just finding like beautiful women in the middle of the night and just killing them and slaughtering them. And that's kind of how the Bridget Nielsen character uh, rolls through. She almost gets killed by the villain in this movie is massive, huge. I've seen him in it's, several movies before. He's the guy. I, I know him from Lionheart. He's in Lionheart. He's massive, and, uh, dude. He has a huge cranium, like massive yeah, yeah. skull. And yeah, no. I'm pretty sure he's he's been in like Star Trek. I've, he's been in a bunch of movies where he's had makeup on him over that huge head of his, and he still looks crazy <laughs> as fuck. Uh, and yeah, he was scary, and he had that knife. Do you remember the knife with the, the oh, yeah, plates on the knuckles? Yeah, scary <laughs> yeah when he had the uh he would wear like a uh, nylon over his face right yep yep 
Yeah. Yeah, there's a great scene. So Bridget Nielsen sees his face, sees the face of like two of the people and gets away. So that's where she kind of works in. Cobra has to like uh, be kind of her protector with the other guy. He uh, They send her to the hospital and he tries to, he dresses up, the bad guy dresses up like the janitor and goes up to the top floor and tries to kill her and she gets away. Cobra shows up and kind of rescues her. Then he's got to like go on the lam with her on the road. And uh, some great stuff in there, man. And I... I won't ruin the ending, but there's a great scene with a huge, they go into like this meat uh, packing place where these big meat hooks are on like these conveyor belts. And right when you see them, you're like, oh, someone's going to get yeah. that meat hook in the back. Yeah. <laughs> really good, mad man. dog. <laughs> I, I loved it. It's one of my favorite Stallone movies. I, I own it on Blu-ray. I, I've watched it at least once a year, man. It is fun. It's got great music. I love the, uh, it's got a very LA feel to it. I think LA is the city and the, the music. Everything's good. I, I thought it was one of the better canon films for sure. And, and if I remember correctly, there's also like a good deal of sarcastic like comedy from him. Like when he comes out of the grocery store, I remember... Like there is a, a bunch of reporters there and stuff, and they're like, "Do you think you used excessive force?" And oh yeah, it's yeah. Like, oh, I used everything I had. Yeah, like, Aaron, you know, Andrew like, Robinson, who's uh, the bad guy from uh, uh, Dirty Harry, the first Dirty Harry. He's also in uh, Hellraiser. He played uh-huh. one of the asshole like uh, like uh, cops in that that was always butting heads with uh, Stallone, and he was amazing in it. Yeah, definitely check it out. I you still have it. You should definitely watch it before you get back to me. It's super fun. It's right up your alley. Of, yeah. uh, of action flicks, especially for Stallone, man. You definitely got to check it out. Uh, all right, this next one might be my favorite movie on the list here. And uh, you had just seen it, so I know it's fresh in your, your head. Uh, it's got one of my favorite longs, Dog Will Hunt. <laughs> yeah. That's 1986, <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Now, I know that Dennis Hopper is in this movie, oh but God. to me, but to me, Otis steals the show. God, man, he's so great in this movie. <laughs> I, I with, didn't even with that know that metal was him. plate in his head that he's scratching oh gosh, with with the uh, the coat hanger. Oh my god! <laughs> when he came in at first with the with the glasses on and everything yep. like that, I didn't know it was him. But the moment he opened his mouth, oh, yeah. I was like, "Holy shit, that's Otis!" Yeah, like, and a lot of people thought that when the, uh, a lot of people thought when House of a Thousand Corpses came out, they were like, "Holy shit, Bill Mosley's just doing his like his uh, his Texas Chainsaw Massacre two routine." So because it was very yeah. similar. Like, you yeah. could almost see that's where he went with his life if he hadn't been killed in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Uh, yeah. And he was such a scary... This was such a weird movie, man. Very strange. Oh, yeah. Very misunderstood, too, because if you were a fan of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1, it didn't necessarily make you a fan of number two. Uh, mm. You had to realize how much of a comedy and satire number two was, which was not the case with the first one. The first one, downright gruesome horror movie. This one, very satirical comedy horror for sure oh yeah absolutely i mean fuck dennis hopper was insane god, with those I'm, with those chainsaws oh my when he gosh. showed up at the chainsaw store and he's yeah. trying the different ones out and he just, he just throws the money down cash. yeah <laughs> what right. was your uh, favorite thing about this movie uh you know what honestly and like you said like kind of the satirical thing honestly i think my favorite thing was leatherface like showing compassion oh yeah you know like for the girl and everything like that and like 
it, he couldn't he couldn't kill her. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, and he like, even was, had moments of that in the first one, you know, where he, he, he acted like a child in a, a couple scenes, you know, when he wasn't going vicious and everything. But yeah, it, it was weird that you could actually kind of, she was talking to him at one point and trying to get through to him and he just, he didn't, he didn't know what he was doing because he had that he was part of that crazy family. Yeah, or um the my other favorite part has to be when they're finally at the dinner table oh, yeah. and the grandfather has the hammer. So great, man. Like, oh dude, like I like you said satirical, but oh, sure. still super fucking intense, man. And like when the grandfather started literally getting his wind up and you could see he was getting excited. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. No, I know exactly like, what you're saying because oh they touched gosh, on that dude. in the first one because remember the grandfather couldn't really hold the, the hammer. But in this one, like you said, when he was trying, there was that one scene where you could see that he was building himself up to be able to do it. And you could tell, yeah. oh, it's come back to me. And you're thinking in your head, this guy's probably killed 400 people and now he's really uh, enjoying it. Yeah, and the absolutely. whole chili thing, man, it was just funny as hell. Man. Yeah, that was funny though. But, and he, I think that was the only actor from the first one that came back was the the father, uh, uh-huh. because he was in the first one. I think they had a different person playing Leatherface. And I should mention this is Toby Hooper, the same guy who did the first one. But he was he he's always been into that kind of uh, comedy, kind of horror stuff. He did it in Life Force. He did it in Vader Vader's from Mars, which could have easily been on this list. But I love him hiding under the floor when he's saying, the small businessman always gets fucked in the end. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, he says, gets it in the ass. Gets it in the ass, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and he literally just got a chainsaw up his ass. Uh, like, that's funny as hell. I almost sent my cousin that clip when they... Uh, uh, when they shut down, uh, the, when they had the lockdown <laughs> up oh, in Massachusetts, yeah, no I almost shit. sent him yeah. the, the clip of the small <laughs> business man always gets it in the ass. Yeah, <laughs> one of my one of the creepiest scenes was uh, that that woman that played the the DJ kind of gets wrapped Stretch. up in this whole thing, and uh, she went on to do a bunch of horror movies. She was in, um, damn, what's the. Uh, Damn, Hatchet. She was in Hatchet 3, and she was really good in Hatchet 3. She's She's got a great screen. Oh, yeah, and I love that ending shot of her with the chainsaw. Kind of. Oh, my gosh, It's dude. such reminiscent to the first one because that's exactly what uh, Leatherface did. He did that spin-around yeah. move with the chainsaw. It was so, oh, man. It, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 might be one of my favorite horror movies, and I didn't really think so when I was growing up. Not until later in life where I really understood the satirical like take on it did it really go next level. But uh, one scene that really sticks out to me is when she uh, she gets thrown into that room with her uh, her sound guy who had yeah. all the stuff filleted off of him. Yeah. Oh my god, dude, the makeup. And he, and well, and he he puts his face. He puts <laughs> Leatherface puts LG's face on her. Yeah. And then like LG wakes up and sees like him looking at him basically oh my oh, god it's fucked dude. up dude it's fucked yeah. up but it, what's good about it is that comedy kind of takes that edge off you know yeah definitely yeah. and and otis has is really good at that like he it's fucked up comedy but like yeah. bubba's got a girlfriend got, bubba's got a girlfriend yeah well and he's walking <laughs> around with a corpse on his hand using it for a puppet yeah. like you know but uh, you know one thing that is really neat and and i don't know maybe it's just me making something up but like the scene where Leatherface and Dennis Hopper fight. Yeah. If you look at that scene, I swear it's a remake of a Three Musketeers scene. Really? <laughs> I really it, think it is. It very much could be, knowing how kind of satirical this movie was. You know, yeah, one I, scene I, that I loved at, was that beginning scene where the cars were next to each other. And then he 
the uh the what was it? Otis was wearing like the corpse and it looked weird remember he was popped on the uh top side of the truck and then he wielded that uh that uh chainsaw at the guy driving next to him and it just took half his head off yeah and the blood started spewing everywhere yeah violent as hell yeah. man yeah and people forget you know that first one didn't have much blood in it it was it was violent and it was scary but you didn't see hardly any blood in that first one yeah no it left everything to the imagination yeah. i mean it was and it was that's all it needed it really worked for that so them coming back on this one and being like all right we had no blood in the first one this one we're gonna have buckets of it <laughs> yeah no kidding all right let's move to the next one here man this one number six uh number six let me see what's on my list here oh we're entering 1987 and uh yeah. number six is over the top so it's like i turned my hat around it's like a switch and and when i turn my hat around it's like i turn the switch on and and, and you know that's what i do <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> oh my gosh dude lincoln Hawks, this was man. such a this was such a good bad movie it was a good bad movie we, we all watched it and uh you had asked earlier about about seeing any of these in the theater i don't think i've seen any of these in the theater i don't think i saw a single one of these in the theater yeah, no, I don't think I have either. Man, maybe uh, over the top, though. You know, there is a possibility that if, of any of them on this list, the only one I probably could have seen in the theater was probably over the top. Uh, I think I think two movies down I saw in the theater. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I oh, think okay. so. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, over the top was fun, man. When you rewatch it, it it's a little difficult. <laughs> it for yeah. sure is a little difficult. But it did star some good people, man. I mean, it starred Stallone, obviously. That kid had been in several things before. I'm not sure what else I had seen him in. Uh, uh-huh. And uh, who else was in this movie? Um, well, there's one guy I know Dave <laughs> likes to do an impression of. <laughs> I'll see if I can get Dave to pull the impression. Get, get, give us the impression first, and then we'll see. I'll do him back-to-back, you and then Dave, maybe, if I can find it. Robert Loja. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, what you got? Robert Loja. Oh, that was good, too. <laughs> Oh, he's great in this, man. I love his bodyguard as Terry Funk. You know, WWF's Terry Funk was his bodyguard. I did not realize that that was the same guy. Oh, man. Awesome, man. I love Terry Funk. He, I loved him in uh, Roadhouse also. I give Roadhouse another shout-out. Uh, Roadhouse. And this was this was almost kind of like, it reminded me in a, in a weird, random way of Dutch. You know, that kind of road movie where it was like these t- uh, the, the father figure and the kid trying to get to know each other and everything. And the kid was kind of from this rich kind of uh, ritzy family and he was kind of a more blue collared worker. And, uh, and it was just them. I guess his mom died. Is that what happened at the beginning of the movie? The little kid's mom I'm, died. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And then he wanted to come and take custody of him, but. Robert Loja was his legal guardian, yeah. and so and they were fighting for him. And then yeah. he he decides to take the kid on a road trip in his big rig across the country to go to, of all things, an arm wrestling uh, friggin' tournament. Yeah, I mean, why not? Uh, I love the guy who played Bull in this movie. Man, man, he was good. Oh, the you mean the like the main guy he had to yeah, face yeah, yeah, up yeah, against. Yeah. Yeah, dude, he was great. I I've seen him in some other stuff, yeah, but he, I can't he's played that what. kind of big menacing character in a few other movies. I'm not sure what else he had done specifically, but he was awesome in this movie. Scary as hell. I used to love oh, yeah. the uh I love to listen to that the interviews 
uh, one of my favorite thing is when they're introducing all the different characters into the like uh, the arm wrestling ring at the end, and they're intercutting the interviews with everybody. And his yeah. interview uh, was always like frightening as hell. Remember the other guy that he went to that started drinking like gasoline and shit? Yeah, dude. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I remember part of the interview. He says, "Like, I wanna, I wanna own my opponent. Like, I yeah. wanna get inside his brain." And like, yeah, I remember that dude. And yeah. I haven't seen that movie in fifteen years, yeah. and I still remember that interview. You know, so like good, it was. Man. I loved how yeah. they did it, and some fun backstory about it. Uh, this movie changed Hollywood big time, uh, if not for it wasn't from a a quality standpoint but it changed it because Mahayam really wanted Stallone to be part of this movie and Stallone didn't want to do it but they kept throwing money at him and Stallone at this point had only made like at tops like two million dollars for a role and they offered him 20 million dollars to do this movie and so he had to do it he's like I have to I can't not do this movie even though it's kind of bad and I'm gonna do it and he made 20 million dollars from but from that point on every actor that set the standard for for every actor asking for that much money. Stallone got $20 million on Over the Top. I want $20 million for Commando or for whatever it was. And yeah. that's the point where uh, actors' salaries went through the roof in Hollywood. So wow. if anything, they got that to thank. <laughs> the actors yeah, probably right? love these Thanks guys. Stallone. <laughs> Thanks, Stallone, for holding out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was great. I lo- What was some of your favorite stuff? You remember any of it that you uh, can recall that you liked a lot about it? Well, absolutely, like the whole tournament at the end. I mean, that was absolutely awesome. Yeah, it was very Karate um, Kid-esque, you know? Yeah, It yeah. was a good 20 uh, minutes. It was like a good 20, 25 minutes of the movie, which helped. Oh, definitely. And also, like, I remember him, uh, he had that, like, one, uh, he had, like, a workout machine in his truck. You remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, that pulley. Yeah, he had a pulley, and he would be driving, and he would be, like, doing, you know, right arm bicep workouts while he was driving so yep. that he could, like, you know, be a better arm wrestler. Like that, uh, great scene in the cafeteria where he kind of pimped out his son against that kid to, uh, arm wrestle him. And, oh, uh, yeah. and the kid couldn't do it. And he ran out and he cried and he's like, no, you gotta, yeah. you gotta stand tough. You gotta go back in there. You gotta go over the top, man. <laughs> and That's so he goes right. back in there yeah. and he beats the kid. But I love, it was so weird. The, the arm wrestling thing that he was doing, because remember he, he would do that hand movement and then he would kind of like back off and then go forward again. And yeah. I, I always thought that would have been really hard to purposely go down a little bit and then go back. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. I've, I've seen some arm wrestling competitions though and they're no joke yeah that's a real deal man i I don't think i've ever seen them done my arm wrestling is uh from over the top and from the fly and it didn't turn out well for the fly (laughs) not at all (laughs) i bet that happens all the time though not not like compound fracture but i bet people break that like bone i've seen it happen oh god no yeah that's horrible yeah yeah (laughs) now you start watching you start watching arm wrestling tournaments and eventually your mind goes what happens when it breaks? Oh, God. Yeah, my mind doesn't go there. I try not to put my mind in that spot. All right, this next movie, 1987, and this is probably certainly on the list, but it was one of the only intentional comedies, was 1987's Mannequin. Dude, this was a staple of, of the 80s, dude. Oh, I loved Mannequin, man. Dude, it was a good movie. It was man. so good, like, man. And I loved Kim Cattrall. I thought she was gorgeous in this movie. And I was always a big Trouble China fan. So I'm like, oh, Gracie Law gets to play the mannequin. I love it. Right. And uh, Andrew and McCarthy the, was uh, yeah. the main guy. And uh, Wasn't he in Weekend at Bernie's too? Yep. Yep. He yeah. was great. 
Uh, and do you remember who the, uh, well, Meshach Taylor, who was awesome in this as like the flamboyantly gay kind of guy that worked oh, with him? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The guy from, uh, he was in, uh, what was that TV show he was in? Uh, Designing Balky Women. Bartok- Balky Bartok- No, no, not that guy. I'm talking about the, oh. black, the black guy from Designing Women. Oh, yeah, yeah I yeah, do Meshach, remember him. Meshach, you're, you're talking Pierce uh, or uh, Bronson Pinch. Yeah, 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 that's, yeah. Yeah, Meshach Taylor, he was great in this, and it was such a weird premise for this movie, is he builds mannequins, he kind of almost fell in love with this one mannequin that he made that he liked so much, and then one day when he was building this, he worked at like this department store where he built displays and everything, and one day when he was building the display, she just came to life. And like any good canon film, she just explained the expeditious expedition to him yeah. <laughs> and said, you can, you're the only one who can see me. So boom, that's where the comedy kind of, uh, kind of ensues. <laughs> yeah, that was, and it was fun. And I remember her like hang gliding through the mall. Yep. Yep. And, and then, then when like, somebody saw her, she'd be like frozen. <laughs> yeah. She'd just be a mannequin. You know what I mean? Like, and they would actually make it like a mannequin. It oh, wasn't yeah. her being still. It was a mannequin on a hang glider. It looked like, just like her for sure. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember who played the guard that was trying to catch him at every turn? I don't. It was uh, Captain Harris from Police Academy. No kidding. He had a little bulldog. Remember, he had like a British. I do bulldog? remember that. Yeah. Yes. And he would wow, he would release dude. the bulldog, and he would send the bulldog chasing, and then the bulldog would come back crying. And that's right. <laughs> Harris at every moment was trying to catch him. And uh, weird enough, James Spader played like the slippery kind of sleazy guy that was the uh, the head of the department store that was always trying to get Harris to catch Andrew McCarthy. Uh, Andrew McCarthy at the beginning of the movie saved like the life of the woman who owned the department store and that's how he got in there so they weren't allowing him to get fired so that's how james spader was like you gotta catch him doing something shady so we can get out of here but uh it was weird that uh the um damn i forget her name already uh we just mentioned it kim cattrall kim cattrall kim cattrall would help him make these amazing mannequin displays in the window and then every morning people would wake up and go go in front of the store and everyone would be surprised at like this crazy artwork that they had come up with overnight and everything and then at some point they stole the mannequin and he had to find the mannequin and it was just funny as hell, man. You know? Yeah, it was great. Dude. I mean, obviously, when you hear that premise, you're not going to take it too seriously. That the eighties, <laughs> the eighties were that time period where you could just do that, man. You could just make a movie about anything and not being it being very thin quality, but could just be fun. Yeah, but that's also dude. coming from somebody that watched it when I was ten and probably loved it. <laughs> Yeah, well, and also they made like a Mannequin 2 and a Mannequin 3, I think. I, I know they definitely did too. I don't think any of them were in it, though. I don't think she was in it. I think they re- – maybe Meshach came back for it, but I'm not sure if it was a different girl or not. Uh, but that first one was great. It was a, yeah, Super it was funny. a different girl because she was a brunette. I oh, remember okay. that. Look yeah. it up. Mannequin 2. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now this next one. Is this the one that you think you saw in the theater? I'm pretty sure I did, dude. This is the biggest train wreck on the list, in my opinion. <laughs> and I love it. And I love it. It's, it. I mean, now I've watched it recently, and you are correct. Oh, but man, when I was bad. a kid, I mean, there is a I couple a kid, things about it. But all right, why don't you tell yeah. us what it is? Oh, it's Masters of the Universe, man. Like, <laughs> oh, dude, I'm a huge I Masters Universe power. fan, man. I have a, I have a, a decent collection of them from the old school toys. I love the Skeletor and He Man and all the characters. Really. 
there was only four characters they actually and that's what disappointed me the most about it because they had the entire cartoon that they could work off with all these great characters and they were yeah. just making these new characters up and I was like why are they making new characters up why are they yeah, doing this yeah I agree with that like, I mean the only characters I think they had He-Man they had Skeletor they had Man-at-Arms and they had Evil Lynn and I think that yeah. was probably it that was it yeah and a lot of people had problems with Frank, also Frank Langella the great actor who played Nixon and Frost Nixon and he was in the Ninth Gate really serious actor I think they I think he might have got talked into the, doing this movie for his kids type of <laughs> type of deal uh, he played yeah. Skeletor and I actually didn't have a problem with the makeup on him a lot of people did I thought he looked pretty decent for Skeletor yeah no I can I can totally agree with that but that's where know? it stops stops me yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, Courtney Cox was in this. I, I think yeah. that's what hurt it is them bringing it out of Eternia, you know, into the real world and everything. The script just wasn't good. The special effects weren't good. The script wasn't good. It, well, and they had that that little dwarf key master. Yeah, like, and he's and a I, famous I, kind of little person actor, too. I don't think he's alive anymore, but he was in a lot of those movies back in the day. Like, he was the main elder in Willow. That sent, that, yeah. that sent him on the quest, and he had done a whole bunch of stuff. Billy something is his name. I can't remember it, but he was he was a big staple. But I, my only guess is that's who they were kind of trying to replace Orko with. Do you remember Orko from the cartoon? I kind of do. He's like a little wizard guy that would float, and he had like that a, would float. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I a red that. hat yeah, yeah. and everything. Yes, I do yeah, remember. I had that. that figure too. <laughs> oh, and, God. Uh, yeah, I think they were trying to replace him with that, but uh, it just didn't work, man. It was just, yeah. and Dolph could not act at this point. He's gotten a little better over the years, or he's just, people are smart enough not to put him in like as a main actor. I mean, I liked him in like Showdown a Little Tokyo. I thought he was good in that. And th there's several things where I think he was, he was good. And I liked his character in Johnny Mnemonic, but man, he was flat in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite stories from the documentary is when they t were talking about Masters Universe and uh, they said Stallone was on the set one day and he, he pointed it up to the stage where uh, Dolph was ready to do a scene and they were like, oh my God, you gave that guy lines? <laughs> 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 oh, <it's> so funny. <laughs> shit on Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> That's fucking hysterical, dude. Uh, but, you know, I, I will give him credit, though, because he brought him back for Expendables. Yeah, and he was good in Expendables. His, his, his character in Expendables was good. It yeah. was on par for his acting ability. Yeah, you just know you just got to know what to put him in. I mean, they they cast him for a size only in this movie, and that was it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love. Uh, I mean, they had Meg Forster play Evil Lynn, which I always thought was great because she had those crazy kind of albino eyes. Yeah, uh, she was the same girl from They Live and Leviathan. And if you've seen Meg Foster before, you you wouldn't uh, mistake her. She's got a very distinct look, and I thought she looked good as Evil Lynn, but. Yeah, all that Courtney Cox stuff and uh, just them running yeah. around the city and and that key and plays music and but but remember uh, the guy from Back to the Future, the principal from Back to the Strickland, Future. Is Strickland, this is probably the biggest Strickland. role he's ever had. <laughs> yeah, and he was still a fucking cop. Yeah, like, didn't that guy ever have hair? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, he, he was he was kind of the comic relief even though the whole movie was basically kind of a comedy and everything but yeah uh, yeah it's it, it's a difficult watch <laughs> for sure when you're going back through it and just him coming out of the portal and being like hey we're from eternity and i am he man and you got to help us do this oh okay like yeah sure no problem happening here yeah yeah <laughs> well and then he stayed in the in eternia yeah yep 
That's know, right. I forgot right. about that. Yeah, Strickland stayed. He was like, I'm going to be a badass here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's totally got to be the biggest role they ever put him in. It's probably his favorite movie. He's got it all over his house, man. I know, right? <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to about to enter the trifecta phase of the canon. This is, kind this of. Is my I don't want to say downfall because these three movies were awesome. They really were. No, yeah. Th- this is my time to shine right here. Oh, nice. Nice. Films, I'll let you take us in my... there. And <laughs> so we're going to start the Jean Claude Van Damme, uh, the era in canon, even though he was in the first break in movie as that dancer in the background. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine the, the recasting, like when he came back to like, Say, hey, you know what? I'm going to audition for this movie, yeah. Bloodsport. And they were like, weren't you the guy that was dancing in the background? <laughs> Do you remember the story they told in the documentary about him coming to audition? No. He did a roundhouse kick, like an inch away from the producer's head. Oh, wow. <laughs> and like completely cleared it. And they were like, all right, you're hired. <laughs> yeah, right. So let's start with Bloodsport, man. 1988. Dude. So real quick, it's funny. I, I was thinking about this the other day because I knew this was coming up. I don't know if you knew this or not, but like, so they say that this movie is based on a true story about Frank Dukes, right? Mm -hmm. Have you ever done any research on Frank Dukes? No. He was a complete fraud. Oh, really? Yes. All (laughs) he, he's the one who wrote the story for this movie. Wow. And just embellished. (laughs) Yeah. No, not embellished. None of it ever happened. Lied. (laughs) None of it ever happened. You know what I mean? And, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Really? Like, that's awesome. Oh my gosh. Dude, we used to have an, I, I, not to r- ruin the surprise, but we're going to be talking about blood sport, cyborg and kick, uh, blood sport, cyborg and kickboxer. But when I was growing up and it was always the big argument between movie fans of which you liked more blood sport or kickboxer, you know, because you were either on, obviously I liked both of them and everything. And it was a hard choice for me, but were you always more of a blood sport guy than a kickboxer guy? Yeah. If I had to pick, yeah. I would pick Bloodsport. I, I absolutely would. Yeah. Um, if I had I to kick, pick, I would too, probably though. pick Kickboxer, but I love both of them, man. I, I, yeah. I really do. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Bloodsport, though? Oh, Shidoshi. Um, so, also, all yeah. three of them had great villains. Should mention that, too. Oh, my gosh, dude. Well, I mean, Bolo was the bad guy in this, and yeah. he is just legendary. He's dude. a I real mean, deal, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Now, and I, you know, I know John Claude Van Damme gets pinned as an asshole and everything like that. And I'm not denying that, but I saw a really awesome video on YouTube. I don't know, five years ago, and it was John Claude Van Damme's birthday, and Bolo showed up, what? and they are they are actually really good friends yeah. and have been from this movie. Like that's awesome. You know, no, it was so cool to see Bolo walk in. I and mean, he's now, almost unrecognizable because they put a lot of makeup on in this movie. They were trying to make him look a little bit more Asian. <laughs> they tried to make him look Asian, really. Well, I mean, yeah, and and he's definitely unrecognizable now. He's, oh yeah, he's, he's lost big. All he's a monster too. Yeah, you could tell he's taking uh, yeah. a couple hits. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude! But yeah, man, and like, so this is about the Kumite, and it's basically like uh, the the most secret but high up karate tournament in the world you know was it in um, thailand did it take place in thailand this movie i want to say yes but i couldn't tell you for okay. sure we'll go with thailand. um <laughs> sure why not you know <laughs> I, now was and i might get this wrong but was forrest whitaker oh, the yeah. other police yeah he was the police officer absolutely wasn't he? super young yeah. forrest whitaker dude, he was great man i love i uh, also love ogre ogre was ogre, awesome yes dude Jackson! <laughs> Nerds. <laughs> he, yeah. he also played the uh, 
the werewolf in Transylvania 65,000. I mean, he's been in, back in the day, he was like an 80s staple too. And he was the oh, comic yeah, relief dude. in this. And he was awesome, man. Yeah, absolutely. And he was a badass, yeah. dude. You know, but he, he went up against fucking Chong Lee, Bolo. Yep. And uh, Bolo put him in the hospital and took his Harley Davidson uh, bandana. Oh, you know what? I'm totally, I, I'm totally confusing that thing I was talking about, the makeup that was on Bolo. I'm thinking of the guy from uh, Kickboxer. You're thinking of Tong Po. Yep, yeah, I'm thinking Tong, of Kickboxer yeah. guy. Sorry. I know yeah. who you're talking no, about I, now. You're talking about that thick-ass Asian dude. Yeah, dude, yeah, yeah, he yeah. was he was in uh, Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee. Yeah, like you know, they, and he doesn't change his name. Well, I guess in this one he does, but even in Enter the Dragon, they call him Bolo. Yeah, like that's funny. You know, um, I love that yeah, look man. he had when he w- he did his like fatality move, and he would have yeah. that, like intensity look on his face. Absolutely, and uh. he turned right to Van Dam, and he goes, "You are next." Like, <laughs> oh man, dude, and their fight. Oh my gosh, dude, their fight was legendary dude you know great i I, you could pull it up on youtube i saw it earlier and it's like the nine minute fight between him and van damme you can watch the whole thing right there it's awesome and it's awesome dude it's awesome like if if you're listening to this pod and you're not going to watch this movie go to youtube and watch the end fight like it's worth it you know it's totally worth it well, the whole yeah. movie's worth it too, but I, I uh, certainly, if you're going to jump to the great fight scene, that that's the one to jump to, man. It was really fantastic, and it well, really yeah, put what, him on the map. Oh, definitely. But also, like the other fighters were really cool. Remember, there was like the sumo guy, and then there was like the other guy whose style was like the monkey, and they fought. Yeah, and you know, and like there was a couple of taekwondo people, and oh, dude, the the. The tournament series in this movie is phenomenal, dude. It's so good. Is this what kind of got you interested in that kind of fighting kind of movies and stuff, this movie? Oh, dude, yeah. Bloodsport was like, that was my shit, you know? (laughs) Like, when that came out, I was just like, whatever this is, I'm going to watch this. You know, that's why... That's why I became a Van uh, Van Damme fan. Yeah, you know I think I there mean? was a like, lot of people because I remember being introduced to it probably from my cousin because I remember specifically watching Cyborg with him, but I remember us watching Bloodsport before and he was like, oh, this new guy, Van Damme, you got to see this guy, man. He can kick, man. He's like, his kick is like infamous. You know, it's yeah, not it, like, it, uh, you think Charles Bronson, Charles Bronson has that weird kick that obviously it's vicious and it will connect and everything, but it isn't nothing like Van Damme's kick. I mean... Dude, Van Damme had that flying split kick that he did in every single movie, and like he wouldn't do it until the end, and you couldn't wait for him to do (laughs) it. Yeah, just his split. He he split more than anybody, man. Like the scene in Kickboxer, I'll get to that later, but (laughs) where he stretches his whole body out, you're like, oh my god, that just hurts watching it. (laughs) Well, and I don't know if this is true or not, so I hate to be spreading rumors, but from what I heard was he was classically trained in ballet. And, I think I heard that too. I think I heard that. Yeah. Too. And he ended up learning martial arts to help his, you know, movie career. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's interesting to see that backstory and like what he's done in movies. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's incredible. They mention a lot of the stuff in the electric boogaloo documentary that they're, <laughs> what I love about that documentary and we'll get into it more when we actually get to that thing, but the candidness about, uh, about how, the old producers and the actors and the directors were just completely honest about how things were and they didn't mind ripping on other actors or anybody like that. Like, oh, yeah. like Stallone saying that thing about Dolph, but people were like Van Damme was so much more interested in his 
physicality and his look than he was with acting. He did not give a yeah. shit. He was like, yeah. my, my martial arts will kind of, will get me through this. And it certainly did yeah. for his first few movies. And then he, oh, yeah. then he had to be a little bit more charismatic when it came time to do like Lionheart and uh double impact, double impact for sure. Cause it was time a lot cop. of him just being that way, but yeah, blood sport, man, really good. All right, this next one, 1989 here. And this one, this was also a fun one to hear about the documentary because they really illustrated how much of a shit show it was. And it was basically an unfinished movie. And they were going to release it like almost unfinished. And people were begging uh, the producers. They were like, please, let us let us spend a couple weeks and tighten this up and add some action to it and add a little bit more darkness to it. And it will be a better movie. And they released it. And it was, man. I always loved Cyborg. Uh, so yeah, 1989, were you always a yeah. cyborg fan? Dude, absolutely. But I have to say that I totally agree. I watched this last week, Yeah, but I couldn't tell you how it ends. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, weird. it's such a clusterfuck. It, it's not, like, it, it's almost weird to say, but it's almost unmemorable, but I did enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. You, you watch it. You're like, what just happened here? Because it literally, I mean, he it's the wasteland and there's a group of bad people in the wasteland and Van Damme finds this one girl who's a cyborg and has to get her to another place while avoiding the bad guys. That's basically right. the whole movie right there. But the main bad guy, dude. Oh, is, he was great. Dude, he's awesome, man. Have like, you seen him in anything else? Never. Yeah. And, but I, as far as like awesome ass villains go, I would put him up there with like the I come in peace guy. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a very I mean? distinct like, look. He was like evil looking, man. Yeah, dude. He had like messed up teeth and weird yeah. eyes. And, and I was like, always a, a fan long of, trench coat. Yep. I was a fan of any dystopian type thing. And I thought that came across, you know, where they were just kind of going in the wastelands. And it was just these rogue groups of uh, killers that were just kind of. Uh, uh, kind of roaming the the uh, the wastelands around them, and to have Van Dam just be a part of it and find that one cyborg and have to kind of be her protector through this whole thing was fun thing to watch, man. Oh yeah, absolutely. Was there any uh, interesting scenes that uh, you remember specifically from Kick or from Cyborg? I mean, honestly, like you said, dude, it's 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 a good movie, but like you kind of like um. <laughs> well, maybe. Well, one, you know, I, when they actually showed the cyborg, it was cheesy for sure. It reminded me of some of the special effects in Total Recall. You know, uh -huh. in Total Recall, where they show like his face two when they're weeks. pulling the thing out, and yeah, the two weeks thing. It was very yeah. similar to that, where they they were just on the cusp of of inventing some really good special effects for these types of movies, but. It wasn't quite there yet. You know, yeah. you could see how kind of almost animated it was in a way. And they could have, they could easily redo this movie. I mean, like without a doubt, they could easily redo this movie and, oh, yeah, and definitely. probably do a better job of it. But it, it's a time capsule, you know? I mean, it's, it's that time period where you got to just chill and watch Van Damme and you knew what you were getting into when you signed up for Cyborg. You, you, you were looking for ass kicking, a little TNA here, and that's about it. So I mean, let's let's because uh, I'm. I think you're right. I think they could like remake this movie, but who would play Van Damme? That's a good question. I don't know that we have any like action stars, not like of that caliber, but of that skill set. I know right a now. lot of them are like older now. Like I want to say that, Statham, but Statham's too old for that shit now. Or even like Matt Damon, but so is he. Yeah, you know, he's too like, old for that. It would have to be a younger. Who's who's more of a younger kind of up and comer? They would have to take like. Maybe the, if they took like a a, a legit uh, MMA fighter 
and just kind of figured out what to do. Or they Keanu Keanu Reeves maybe. Like, you know, if they decided not to go with somebody as like thin, uh, Bautista could actually be pretty good in this. Damn, that would be a good suggestion. Yeah, man. All like, right, Paul, get on the script. I'm getting on, get, I'm get gonna, on, I'm get gonna, on Twitter. I'm tweeting that motherfucker tonight. <laughs> Come <laughs> on, Dave. You, you got to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the cyborg was fun, man. It was great. And you got to hear it from the director talking about it on the uh, documentary for sure. All right, but this next one, this last one before the documentary stuff we actually talk about is uh, is the great, also 1989, Kickboxer. I love great Kickboxer, movie. man. Such a great yeah. movie. Now, yeah. weren't you telling me that the guy who played his brother was the real deal? So it was either the guy that played his brother or it was Tong Po because Tong Po was played by, I'm pretty sure he was actually played by like a white guy. Yeah, that was um, the one who had the makeup on and made him look Asian. But I think his brother was also the real deal, but I think his brother was more of a boxer, uh-huh. I want to say. I'd have to look up the trivia for that. But it, it was also, it was a it was a great movie. It was it had a very uh, Rocky Four feel, kind of like the Apollo Creed. Uh, Absolutely, he's got his his brothers in a kickboxing tournament, and right before the tournament starts, he goes and he sees that uh, that really badass villain like training in the room where he's like kicking the foundation of the building with his shin. Yeah, dude, he's like, hey, you should probably come check this out. Yeah, he's and like, he's like, no, he's it. like, no, this guy's gonna kill you. Yeah. And he doesn't kill him, but he paralyzes him. <laughs> yeah. And basically that's what kind of, and at that point, Van Damme wasn't even a fighter. He was like, I want to get revenge on my brother. So he kind of basically goes through one of those kill bill moments where he's got to go train with that one guy in like the woods. He's awesome. Yeah. He's really good. That guy's awesome yeah. in a lot of different things yeah. too. And that was what uh, I really enjoyed in this movie was that like training in Asia with that like master who was making him, uh, remember he was making him kick down the, he was wanted his leg to bamboo. almost be like a, yeah, he, he wanted his leg to be almost like a physical weapon, like an ax. And he wanted yeah. him to continuously kick that bamboo. And if you ever felt bamboo, you know how thick it is. <laughs> yeah. Until his, his shins were bloody until he like took apart the bamboo tree with his leg, man. Yeah. Was, and he fell in love with the, uh, the Asian guys. I think it was his daughter or granddaughter, or maybe it wasn't even affiliate with her. I'm not sure, but she was hanging out with him. I know at that time. Yeah. Uh, I know her name was Maylene. That was Ugh. nice. <laughs> yeah. And basically he was just training through half the movie until that last scene. And very similar to Bloodsport, It was like the big kind of like 20 minute ending where he was just going against that guy. But remember they put the glass on their hands. Yeah, well, so that was part of the thing was like they weren't going to fight when when Tong Po's team presented the challenge. They presented it in the old style and not in a regular like ring and, you know, all that stuff. So the old style was to go and they fought underground in like an underground temple almost and like in a ring with chains and, and fire and stuff like that. And when they came into the ring, they dunked their uh, gloves in glue and then in glass. And then remember, remember Tong Po, after he does, he licks both of his hands with his tongue. And like, you know, like, oh, my gosh, dude. Um, But also, like, they've they've kidnapped Maylene. So, like, basically, Jean-Claude Van Damme has to just get his ass kicked like he has no choice yeah. you know and then um he's got he's got the one guy that took him to train and then he's got his That's brother right, the black Kurt. guy yeah yeah um, and then and his brother his really, brother shows up like in the wheelchair at the end and he's actually like holding people with guns and shit like that 
Yeah, and and they get Maylene back and they start chanting Naksu Cow. Yeah. And you know, and that's when like Van Damme's like, Oh, I'm gonna kick this motherfucker's ass now. It's great and, scene, man. I oh, dude, scene. so awesome. Yeah, I might have to after the pod just go and watch the end scene from Bloodsport and the end scene <laughs> from Kickboxer, man. <laughs> I'm telling you, dude, they're they're fucking great movies they really man. are they're fun man i mean it, it's very 80s i mean and this was like late 80s too so things were about to completely change once it hit the 90s it's weird when that decade changed the movies immediately changed the the quality yeah. got different uh the special effects got better uh it demanded a lot more from people and i think a lot of it is because of the uh and this is a good transition into the uh to the documentary where these two uh the, these guys really did change our childhood with these movies oh, yeah. that they were pumping out. Yeah. And they weren't always great. I mean, but they were always fun and they always had some element that you want to see. They were either action packed and you got to see some good fighting or you got to see some good shooting and there was tons of TNA in them. So you got to see that. And it, it was just amazing, man. So this documentary, yeah. this documentary was called Electric Boogaloo, The Wild Untold Story of Canon Films. And it was released in 2014. And it was one of the best accidents I ever came across, <laughs> you know, and I, it was one of the most, one of my favorite documentaries. I've watched it like three times this year alone. Oh, dude, like, like I told you, when you let me borrow it, I watched it four times that week. It's like, so good, man. It's so full of nostalgia from when, you know, back in, like you said, dude. They, they made six movies in 85 and six movies in 86. I mean, like, big movies. They probably made 20 or 25, but they, movies, I mean, these were quality films. Yeah, absolutely, dude. Movies that stuck with us as we grew up. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. And this documentary was really in-depth, man. They got a lot of people. Weird enough, they they didn't get a couple of the actors that you thought they were going to get. Like, I would have loved to hear hear Chuck Norris's thoughts on on the guys or Definitely. like Stallone and everything. So I, I don't know if they just didn't offer him enough money to be on the documentary. Or Van Damme, you know. Or Van Damme, you know. A lot of those big guys didn't come back for it, but a lot of the little guys did. You know, Alex Winter from... Uh, uh, from Bill and Ted, but he was also in Death Wish 3, came back, and he told a lot of stories. Uh, Cassandra Peterson, who played Elvira, who was in Alan Quartermain in The Last City of Gold, she came back and talked about a lot of stuff, but a lot of it was the producers and the directors and just unfolding this amazing story about these guys who just started this company. Uh, they bought Canon Films. Uh, they, were, they grew up in Israel. They were huge, huge movie lovers, just would go to the movies and and watch everything. So everything was driven by their love for movies. And they end up uh, buying Canon Pictures. And at that time, Canon Pictures was just doing like skin flicks and shit. So it, it was great to see their kind of... Uh, to see their kind of arc of where they went with the movies they were doing because you could almost just follow it you know they started doing with their with their cheesy kind of skin flicks uh comedies like the last american virgin and then it went to the dance movies and then it went to the ninja movies then it went to the war movies then it went to the action martial arts movies it, it was really a fun kind of transition to see Oh yeah, dude. I, you know, and I think honestly, like my favorite part about that documentary is when they start talking about like basically the hustle that they were doing and the business model that they were doing was absolutely they were going to all of these film festivals and, and sitting down with people and selling them movies 
that hadn't been written. Yeah, hadn't they just been had made. a poster. They just would get the yeah. poster made. That's all they would do, man. And they would just like, okay, so we need to we need to float this deal with that deal. And they were just hopping from deal to deal to deal. And like, remember, they were talking about how I forget who it was um, that was in the office, and they asked for lunch. And one of the the main guys, you know, walks out, went and got some. They were in the middle of eating their egg salad sandwich. <laughs> And they took it from them and brought him in and said, here you go. Here's a sandwich. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's these guys so many, were insane, dude. There's so many stories. There's a great uh, story because Mahayam actually directed a few of me, directed Delta Force. And even Robert Forster said it was the best director he's ever worked with. And I mean, this is coming from a guy who worked with Quentin Tarantino. He said, but this guy had so much energy in him and he would, he would, there was that scene in, uh, Delta Force, you know, where he had all those classically trained old school actors like George Kennedy and Martin Balsam and Shelley Winters playing the hostages in the plane. And they were saying it, it was like 101 degrees. And there was in the in like August in Israel. And they said, Shelley, at one point, Shelley Winters said, I'm dying here. I can't do anymore. And Mahayam's like, do the scene and then you can die. <laughs> 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 That's the type of stuff I remember, man. And you got to be kind of ruthless like that when you're trying trying to like just like you said like the hustle there was one director or producer during the documentary was talking he says that he thinks that was their downfall is that they kept trying to move instead of just taking a break kind of restructuring and and starting a new business model and then went from there they couldn't they had to just keep doing a movie to pay for the last movie and doing two movies to pay for this uh crazy salary for like Stallone and everything so it it, it was crazy how yeah, I think even it might have been Alex Winter. It was somebody else saying that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a question of if they were going to uh, to crash and burn. It was when it was going to happen, you know, right. because it was ultimately it was like that roller coaster that was going to go down, and at some point it had to like crash into something or completely stop because they were just yeah. are out of control. Yeah, no, it was like the definition of a meteoric rise. You know what I mean? They skyrocketed and then fell back to mm. earth. You know what I mean? Like Oh, for sure. I mean, and they had great moments. Like when they came out with Breakin', Breakin' was huge. I mean, that's when break oh, dancing kind of like got like discovered. You know? Absolutely, man. Like uh what is it? Uh Channing Tatum in was it Step Up? Dude, the, he would be nobody if it weren't for Breakin'. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? Like you and know, they, same with they, ninja movies. I mean, they brought ninja movies to to America. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, there were. I mean, there were ninja movies, but you had to see foreign films of them and everything to get. Uh, but to be right, bring them right to the American audiences was like a big thing. In in the documentary, towards the end, they kind of had a falling out for a little while until they kind of came back together. But during yeah. that time, do you remember when they were both doing Lombada movies? <laughs> yes, I do. And you know what's funny is, is I've seen both of those. <laughs> really, I think I only saw the both. one name because one of them was called Lombada, and the other one yeah. was called The Forbidden Dance is yes. Lombada. <laughs> I still remember the song to the Forbidden Dance. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm not going to sing it, but I remember it. <laughs> right. Uh, I do remember it. <laughs> yeah, no, I it's it's I'm telling you man, it's crazy. This these two guys as far as movies go helped shape my childhood. They really You do. know what I mean? Like it's insane, man. And and like especially watching this documentary and just like hearing this whole story it's mind-blowing yeah. dude and it's, it's one movie after another that you've seen you're like oh i remember that movie and i remember that movie and holy shit they did that 
And it's just, I remember that Canon logo when it would just like, remember it was separated at the very beginning and it came Absolutely. together. Oh, yeah. When I saw that Canon logo, I was like, oh, this is just my childhood right there, man. Like you said, yeah. we grew up with all these flicks. That and, and never John even Carpenter realized movies, it. Oh no! I never even realized it. Dude. No, I didn't you didn't know really. You, you recognized that emblem, but that's about it. Not until yeah. it was like all said and done, and the company had been kind of dissolved. That you really kind of missed what they kind of accomplished. Yeah. Every indie filmmaker should watch this because it it really shows you what drive can really do for you and like the love for movies, man. And if you you keep doing it and you keep doing it, something you might pump out some bad ones, but there'll be some good ones in there, man. Absolutely. And you also don't. Uh, you forget, and I think a lot of people forget that with movies now where they're like, oh, that's crap. And people are forgetting, yeah, but that's not for you. You know, a lot of these movies were were for like teenagers or, or just specific genre of fans and everything. And you can always find an audience for those types of films. Yeah, and definitely. So I, I definitely... There was some great key moments in the documentary that I love. That one woman burned the script right on camera. This is what I yeah. think. This is what I think of them, and they burned it. I was like, "That's hilarious." Or how they talked about it. at some point they had Charles Bronson and Chuck Norris on the payroll, and like every script would go through them. Which Chuck wants it? Either Chuck Bronson has it, or uh, or Chuck Norris is going to get it. And if they don't get yeah. it, we'll give it to somebody else. You know? Yeah. Or or when they're talking about Sharon Stone and like how <laughs> yeah. possible she was to work with. You know oh, what I mean? Oh god, like, that was funny. Even like no, Richard, no, is absolutely hilarious. Even Richard Chamberlain's like. Sharon was very smart and she always wanted to tell you about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or hell, uh, Cassandra Peterson who played Elvira talked about the locals like pissing in the water when they knew Sharon Stone was about to get into it because That's they hated her right. so much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Those are the oh stories that are just gold, man. I love to hear about them. So it, I think it's available on like Amazon prime or something like that. So if you listen to this and you like good documentaries, Electric Boogaloo is is an amazing one. A great name for it, definitely. too. Definitely. Yeah, uh, definitely. I'm a huge fan of also the uh, – there's another uh, – it, it pairs really well with the Roger Corman documentary. Uh, have you seen the Roger Corman documentary? I have not. Oh, man, you would love it just like this because it's the same thing. It's just wild people. And that – the Corman one is more about the directors that, that, that he worked with that eventually became famous because he started with Martin Scorsese and uh, Joe Dante and all these famous guys who became huge directors. And they all – and Ron Howard all started in the Roger Corman school. And it was the same thing. It, it, during the 70s, it was all about trashy films – Lots of TNA, no script. It doesn't matter. Just blow shit up, and it's great. I mean, they they really pair well to Amen. each other. <laughs> I'm in. So Roger Corman yeah, is also right? a big yeah. one for me too. So if you're a fan of any of these movies, you just definitely check it out, man. It's very entertaining for sure. Yeah. But all right, that's good for canon, man. I mean, we probably could do a third one in a couple of years or something like that. There's ones we left off that were great on here too, that I, we just didn't get to. I had to trim it down, man. It's it's. That's a thing when you've done 150 friggin' movies within like a 10 year <laughs> in a 5 year period. <laughs> I know, man, it's crazy. I mean, you look at 1980 they they owned 80 like 4 through 89, you know? Just you knew yeah. it was going to happen and they gave a lot of people a good shot at doing that type of work and being creative, which I'm always a big fan of. So, absolutely. All right, yeah, that'll be good for this week. Next week, me and Dave are going to be back together and we're going to do Spy Movies Part 3, man. Who would have known there would be that many spy movies? But every time me and Dave 
do a spy movie, he starts rattling these spy movies off, and I'm like, why the fuck isn't that on this list? So <laughs> we're doing a number three, and there's some really classic ones on there that people are going to want to hear about. Uh, those have been fun. I've been listening to those. Yeah, they've been really cool. And uh, uh, coming up, we've got uh, we've got a character actor pod. We've got some actors and directors pod. We have a wild card pod at some point when we all are confident that we can actually be around each other again. But who knows? <laughs> who knows what that is? We live in Florida, so it's always up in the air when you live in Florida. <laughs> Florida. Florida. <laughs> you can always count on Florida to be Florida. That's for sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, but if you want to get a hold of us, you could check us out on Facebook under Fascinated with Films, or you could shoot us an email, films at gmail.com, or you could leave us a like and a comment on our two platforms, which are SoundCloud and iTunes. And we Do will it. get back to you, man. But until next week, see ya. Fascinated with Films recorded this and ready to drop it in three months. However, Canon beat them by six months. <laughs> <laughs> Dog wheel hunt!